want to behold what uh, the Lord has for us in his word. You know, one year ago, this Sunday, one year ago, I was installed as the, pa- the lead pastor here at the branch. Uh, an installation, you know, is, is kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a formalization of a relationship, right? The, you all, the members of this church, had called me to come. You had heard me preach, and, and I came, and, and then you extended the call to me, and, it, and then I came, and, and I took vows, and it was, you know, you took vows uh, towards me, and I took vows towards you that we would do life together here at this church. Little did we know what would happen in one month after that service, this little thing called COVID would enter our world and would change us. Uh, I don't know if you were here that Sunday, but my good friend Jeff Chang preached uh, that service, uh, and he reminded us of our duties here, uh, my duties as a pastor and our duties as a congregation. In, In one sense, he was teaching us about how to live, he was teaching us about life in the kingdom of God. Remember what we said, the kingdom of God in its basic form is, is to come under the authority of God. And if I'm going to serve you well as a pastor here in this little church, in this, this little corner of our kingdom of, of God, and if I'm going to serve you well as a pastor and live in the kingdom of God, I must die to myself and become a servant to the word, right? Paul set an example, uh, Jeff preached from from Acts 20, Paul's talk to the Ephesian elders as he was leaving. And he told them, I did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. And in so doing, he found life. Right? His points to us were preach the gospel, watch your life, feed the sheep, protect the flock. And as a pastor does his duty, he finds life. He finds that in giving his life away for the gospel and for people, for the glory of God, he will actually find his life. And this is a kingdom reality. This is a life that God calls his followers to. You give up to gain. Last week, the last few weeks, we've talked about entering into the kingdom. What does it take to enter into the kingdom? Last week, we saw uh, the rich young ruler um, not willing to give up his, his possessions to enter this kingdom, as Jesus told him to. And this week, we're talking about life in the kingdom. Once you enter, what does it look like? What does life look like when you enter the kingdom? And we're going to be working with this basic premise, okay? This is, the, this is kind of the main point. Life in the kingdom of God means death to the kingdom of self. Life in the kingdom of God means death to the kingdom of self. So hear God's holy word. You can turn to Mark 10. We'll be reading verses 32 through 34 right now. Hear God's word. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, see we are going up to Jerusalem And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. This is the word of the Lord. 
The demands of the kingdom are, are too much for some. We saw, we saw that with the, with the rich young ruler. The, the many possessions made the kingdom of God seem not quite as great as the kingdom of self. <clears throat> and so some go away sorrowful. Uh, they believe that what they had was better than Jesus. Imagine believing what you have is better than the God of the universe giving himself to you. And, and just from last week's sermon, Jesus tells us, his disciples, that unless they forsake the hindrance and recognize the impossibility of entering the kingdom, they cannot enter and enjoy the rewards of the kingdom. No one can hold on to treasure and enter the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. No one can hold on to treasure other than Christ and enter the kingdom of God. Mark now gives, tells us about Jesus' third and final prediction of his death. You know, this is the third time in Mark 8, 31, I think it is, Mark 9, 31, and, and now in Mark 10, 32 through 34, he tells us that he, what he's about to do, what's going to happen to him. And he tells them, while they're headed up to Jerusalem, Logan just read for us uh, an Old Testament prediction of this, where, uh, where the suffering servant was going to set his face like a flint on his way. This is Jesus. He's setting his face like a flint on the way to Jerusalem towards his death. And they were on the road ahead of him. The mood is, it's a little electric, actually. Something big, they know something big is about to happen here. And it made them both amazed and afraid. Did you notice that? notice that? His disciples were both amazed and some were afraid. They were still astonished about what just happened. That this, this guy with possessions bowing before Jesus, asking to enter the kingdom, couldn't get in. And they're afraid that what was going to happen? Could this happen to them? What was their status with Jesus? Jesus reminds them it is difficult and impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they're wondering, well, what about me? Jesus had told them, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus reminds them, what I just read you, Jesus reminds them about what life in the kingdom will look like. Suffering, death, but also resurrection. So he, he was expecting them to connect the dots, Right? If you're going to enter the kingdom, you have to enter through me. If you're going to live in the kingdom, you're going to have to live like me. Jesus is teaching them about the Son of Man. Right? Remember, the Son of Man, we, we, it showed up in Daniel 7 before, and it's this really uh, majestic picture uh, of this man coming to the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days giving the Son of Man, you know, rule and a power and authority. And the disciples like that, right? Because they want all of this with them. They believe that what was going to happen to Jesus in terms of the glory was going to happen instantly. They go to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to suffer something. I, sounds like he might die. I don't know if that's a metaphor or not, but he'll rise again. And then in Jerusalem, we're going to set up the kingdom here. Here it comes. And we're going to be a part of it. So they're excited. What's going to happen? And Jesus was giving them the picture that there would be suffering. Three days later, he would rise again. Jesus would come in his glory, they thought, right there in Jerusalem, and there would be, they would be there to reign with him. This was their mindset. And the disciples had picked up the things that they liked from Scripture about the Son of Man reigning, right? 
It's like the, someone has put it before, it's, it's like the buffet, right? It's like the salad bar. You go to the salad bar of scripture, you kind of take everything you like, you, you leave the olives because those are nasty, you know, you leave all the things you don't like, you'll, you'll get another plate for the chocolate pudding, but everything, you know, your salad is just the way you like it. It's Burger King, they'll make it the way you like it. Well, that was their son of man theology, it was just the way they liked it. They put all the parts they didn't like, the suffering, the death, the, the dying, they liked the glory, they liked the reigning. It was easier to ignore the parts that didn't fit into their construction of it, like Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. I don't really have, to, I don't know what that means, but it, it can't be for him because he's going to reign and rule. And so what do they do with all of this in their mind? Like they've constructed this theology in their mind. So what did they do? They asked Jesus for a favor, right? What else would you do? The guy that's going to be king over Jerusalem, I'm going to get close to him, and I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to ask a favor from him. This particular favor they asked for shows that they are still blinded and confused by the kingdom of self. So life in the kingdom of God means death to the kingdom of self. So the rest of our time, I know that was a, kind of a long introduction, for the rest of our time we're going to look at those two points, life, the kingdom of self, and the kingdom of God. And hear God's word again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they'd said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has, for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Jesus is telling them to kill the kingdom of self or it will kill you. All right, so what does the kingdom of self look like? What does the kingdom of self look like? Well, well first, in verses 35 through 37, we see that the kingdom of self looks like desire for power and position. Desire for power and position is extremely dangerous, Jesus is teaching us. It's actually a likely indicator that you're still living in the kingdom of self. They knew he claimed to be the son of man, and quite frankly, they were glad about it because, well, it played right into their narcissism. Maybe narcissism's a little strong. It played right into what they wanted, though. 
And James and John now are the spokesmen. Usually it's Peter, he's the spokesman for the disciples. Well, right now it's James and John. And, and they were choosing what parts, you know, they like to follow the Son of Man. And so they ask him. They like the glory part, right? They don't like the suffering part. Or at least they choose to minimize the, the suffering part, if not ignore it completely. We can all too quickly think of others who are in power or use power or are power hungry and desire status and position. We see it in politics, don't we? We see it in corporations. If you want to climb the corporate ladder, you're always climbing on the rungs of other people's backs. We've even seen it in churches, haven't we? Pastors get a little taste of power or status, and it's like a drug that quickly addicts them. And like an addict, they do whatever is necessary to feed that hunger. They, they will steal from those who love them. They will use and abuse. They will climb over you. But while we see it in others, we typically miss it in ourselves. Right? Desire for position, for status, for power. Friends, that kingdom of self, the kingdom of self is built with poorly made bricks of pride and selfishness. And it will not stand in the kingdom of God. It will come crashing down. The kingdom will come crashing down all around us because the kingdom of self leads to death, not to life. How is it that we can see it in others more easily than we can see it in ourselves? How is it that James and John didn't realize how prideful, shameless they were. Well, because the kingdom of self blinds to its cost. Notice verse 38 and 39. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus tells them, you know, you have no idea what you're asking for. You want position and power? Position and power requires death. Glory comes at a price, friends. Glory in the kingdom of self is going to end. Glory in the kingdom of God comes through suffering and death on the way to live with the master. That cost of the kingdom will take you all the way up to Mount Doom. And you will not return to the Shire. This is the kingdom of self. The ring around your neck is it's too heavy for you to bear. Right? Like, like Gollum, you may think it, it will bring you glory and satisfaction, but it will cost you more than you know. It will take every last bit of energy from you, every last bit of you. It will leave you with nothing except a, a desire you cannot fulfill. A longing you cannot satisfy. And you will, you will come to the end of your life emaciated, doing everything you can to get the ring of power and be thrown down the mountain and destroyed. This, this desire for position, it blinds you to the reality that the ki this kingdom is passing away. It's all passing away. You do not know what you're asking for. You, you want position and power? You want glory? Jesus said it means suffering and death. The kingdom of self kills by desire and blinds to the cost. And it makes enemies of friends. 
verses 41 and 42. It, it shows us, we're skipping verse 40, we'll come back to that in the kingdom of God. But, and, and when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are con con considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And Jesus, the, the disciples have no idea that their costs, or maybe they don't even care, their co the, the, what they're asking for is going to cost them friends. It's going to make their friends enemies, their fellow disciples. How does it do this? It does so by excluding others. So the reason the other disciples were indignant with James and John, we can suppose, were number one, because they wanted the position that James and John were asking for, right? That may be it, and that probably has something to do with it. But the other one is because James and John were attempting to exclude the other disciples from the place of blessing near Jesus. This is what the kingdom of self does. It makes enemies of those who should be friends. Does your pride ever do this to you? Or am I the only one? You know, maybe it's just in your own mind. It goes, it goes something like this. You refuse to give the benefit of the doubt to your spouse or your coworker or maybe your roommate or fellow church member. You are, you are sure that their words were meant to hurt you. And the kingdom of self rises up and says, protect your power and position. And what do you do? You end up making an enemy of who should be a friend. And that's not the only way to do it. There are millions of other ways to do it. <clears throat> you can think of those in your own mind. James and John do it by selfishly asking for position, not, not even considering the other disciples. What does this all mean? They're, they're, they're looking more like the pagan world than the kingdom of God. So Jesus holds up a mirror to them, gives them example of leadership in the pagan world. What does this look like? So he's, he's holding up this mirror to show them actually how ugly they are. Like you, you guys, you don't just need to fix your hair. Like you need plastic surgery. It's bad, guys. It's really bad. So he, he goes to uh, pagan leadership. What do, what do pagan leaders do in this world? And he, he basically is asking them, do you want to know why the other disciples are indignant with you, why they're furious with you, and for good reason? It's because you're acting like the pagan world. The kingdom of self is like the kingdom of Satan and his minions, not like Jesus and his followers. Pagans who were following their father, the devil, set up their kingdoms by lording it over. I read that for you, right? And Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now, when, when Jesus calls his disciples to him, if you're noticing the pattern in Mark, there's always some significant teaching that's about to happen. And the significant teaching that's about to happen is this mirror being held up to them and saying, you guys are acting more actually like the kingdom of Satan than you are like the kingdom of God. Because the pagans, they lorded over people that are under them and their authority. They're, they're, they're uh, 
using their authority. You know, you know what it, it looks like to lure someone to lord authority over you in pride to, to remind you all the time that they're in authority and you're not. And Jesus says it in another way. He says their great ones exercise authority over them or dominate them. That, that's what the word means, to dominate them. You know, like the alpha male dog who dominates the weaker dogs in the, in the bunch. Or the MMA fighter who dominates his opponent until he taps out. I've just lost all of my the male friends and my male card, sorry. But that's what, that's what it's like. You're dominating. This is, this is how the pagan world uses their authority. It's like in homes where husbands dominate their wives physically or, or with their personality, their strength, or their intellect. Husbands aren't the only ones that can dominate. Wives can dominate too, can't they? Oftentimes, wives can use their intellect to, to dominate the relationship. Children can dominate, can't they? They have their own little kind of power, and when they used to manipulate it, the way they sway that power, they can manipulate and dominate a family. There are too many stories of pastors dominating their congregations by whatever, by their rhetoric or their bully pulpit. And we've all seen or participated in some sort of domination over someone else online, haven't we? And Jesus says this is not how it should be with the disciples. This is not how it is in the kingdom of God. If you're paying attention, you, you'll notice that the reading was interspersed with not just the kingdom of self, but also with the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of self looks like and what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus teaching against the kingdom of self, but he's positively filling it in with what the kingdom of God looks like, what life in the kingdom looks like. So if it doesn't look like lording it over people, your authority, doesn't look like desiring power and position or lording any authority you have or dominating people, then what does it look like? And Jesus has been hinting at what this looks like all throughout the book of Mark, and especially in his predictions, by telling them what's going to happen to him, right? You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be delivered over. I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be mocked and spit on, and I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. And he connects, you know, he, he connects that suffering and death to life in the kingdom. Maybe not explicitly, but he's expecting the disciples to sort of connect the dots. So once you enter the kingdom of God, your life starts to look a certain way. All right, this side of heaven, once you enter the kingdom of God, you don't stop repenting and believing the gospel, right? That's essentially what our sermon was last week. Repent of your sins, trust in Christ alone, and enjoy the benefits. Once you get into the kingdom, you don't stop doing that. All the Christian life is full of, it's, it's, a, it's a full life of repentance and faith. And you don't stop dying to yourself. You don't stop dying to your sinful desires. You don't stop dying to, to, to trying to get position and power. What does the kingdom of God look like? What does life in the kingdom of God look like? 
Jesus tells us, it looks like glory through suffering and death. It looks like glory through suffering and death. In verse 39, the end of verse 39, after James and John said, yeah, we're able to drink it, Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism, baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And he tells them, they do not fully understand, and yet they speak more than they know. They don't fully understand, but in, say, in saying they can do it, they will do it. The cup and the baptism Jesus speaks of is suffering and death. You want to get glory? You will get it through suffering and death, not through favor granting. Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we might drink the cup of blessing. This cup is, is sometimes used to, in the scripture to signify blessing, like Psalm 23, you remember, my cup overflows. There's blessing in there, and there's other portions of scripture that tell us that there is a cup of blessing from the Lord that he appoints to certain people. But more often, it is used to symbolize God's wrath. The cup is, is containing God's wrath. And sometimes, you know, nations will drink it. Sometimes people will drink it. Jesus said, you know, let this cup pass from me. What cup was he talking about? The cup of God's wrath that was going to be poured out on him. The, the wrath that he would have to drink down himself. So James and John, he says, you will have to drink the cup and be baptized with my baptism, and yet it won't be the exact same. You won't be doing it like me. I will be doing it for many. You will do it because you're in the kingdom of God, and you're killing the kingdom of self. That baptism he's baptized with, he's, he's telling them, you, basically he's telling them, you will die. Suffering and death. Baptism in the scriptures is a, is a symbol of deluge, of trouble. You know, even, you can even think of our own baptism to get, to get at the meaning of this. In the Christian church, it's plunging into the waters of baptism means we are identifying with Jesus, the one who took our deluge of trouble. You are proclaiming that his life, death, and resurrection are your life, death, death and resurrection. Spiritually. When he died, you died. You're buried. Because he lives, you live. You're raised to life, into newness of life. So again, they won't suffer the same way. They're not suffering for people. They are suffering because of their connection to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is what life in the kingdom of God looks like. Remember last week, he said, I, I, I'm going to restore to you everything. Right? If you, if you give everything to me, Peter, I'll restore it in, in this life both through the church, but also through persecutions and eternal life. Here are the persecutions, suffering and death. Life in the kingdom comes through dying to yourself. So the kingdom of self must die because the kingdom of God must live. So it's, it's not just glory through suffering and death, it's also a goodness ordered by God. You notice in verse 40, to sit at my right hand and left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. What does Jesus mean? I think he means there is a good order to the kingdom of God 
And the disciples have no business trying to reorder it. I think that's what he's telling them. You guys are trying to order something that's not yours to order. Actually, it's not even mine to order. It's been prepared by God. One commentator said it like this, the disciples are not to follow Jesus based on knowing the rewards they will get in advance. You know, if you have children or you were a child, you probably pulled this before, right? You know, I, I will clean my room, mom and dad, if you give me, you know, money. Or if you, you know, if you, if you give me extra time on the Xbox. Uh, if you give me extra time watching TV, I will do this. Jesus is saying that that's not how the kingdom works. By the way, that's not how a family works either, just so you know. Kids follow parents, you know, not, not because the parents are lording authority over them but because this is how life is ordered in the family, kind of like it's ordered in the kingdom. Jesus says it's not his to give. I, I don't know everything that means, friends. I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but Matthew 25, 34 says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Instead of jockeying for position and power in the kingdom of God, being in the kingdom of God means it has been ordered for you and prepared for you already. The kingdom is enough. Jesus is enough. You, you don't need to jockey for a position. You have Christ. There's glory through suffering. There's a, a goodness ordered by God. And lastly... No, second to last. Greatness through service and slavery. In verses uh, 42 through 44, uh, we read some of it already, but 43 says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You want greatness. You have to become a servant and a slave. N not very popular thing to say. Not only in today's you know, day, but in Jesus' day. Whenever Jesus calls you know, his disciples to himself, like I said before, he's teaching them something significant. And the significant thing he's teaching in, in 43 and 44 is that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a, a slave, a servant. This is it's not the way we think it should be, right? It, it kind of like children being the, the primary subjects of the kingdom. If you want to get into the kingdom, you must become like a little child. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's hard to enter, and the life inside is hard. If you want to be great, you must be a servant and a slave. Jesus is taking a jab at their power grab. The kingdom is not a place to grab power and step on others to get up the ladder of position. In this kingdom, the least is the greatest. The servants and slaves had no business thinking of themselves as great and equal with their masters. And Jesus says, if you make yourself a servant of others, only then will you be great. This is what Jesus himself did, isn't it? It's the greatest inversion of power that has ever happened. The king of the universe 
humbled himself and came to the earth to be the servant of all, to be the slave of rebel sinners. He says this. Paul tells us about this in Philippians 2, where he says, a kingdom life looks like this. Have this mind among yourselves. So branch church, we're supposed to have this kind of mind among us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thanks be to God. So those of you who have roommates, do you see college students? Maybe you're recently graduated from college and you're living with somebody. Do you, do you see serving your housemates as greatness? Husbands, do you see serving your family as greatness? Do you, do you think it's a great thing to serve your family? Is it, am I the only one that it's hard for? Like, or is it hard for you? Okay, good. Someone's shaking their head. Otherwise, I can't like tell if you're tracking with me or not. Employers, do you see your employees as those whom you serve or those who serve you? Em employees, do, do you see yourself as a servant of everyone? Brother pastors in this church, do we see church members as those whom we serve or those who just volunteer? Moms, do you think it is great to serve your family or is it only burdensome? And children, do you see your home as an opportunity to be great at serving or only to be served? Friends, if we want to be great, Jesus calls us to be servants and slaves of one another for the glory of God. To serve one another with a happy, humble heart. Now, there's so many ways we can take, be taken advantage of in this, right? Even the word slave has so many connotations here for, for us in, in America. All I can tell you is that if the sovereign king of the universe will come to serve, there must be something we can do to serve. If he would give his life as a ransom for many, we can give our lives. If he risked all so that people could come into the kingdom of God, there's not too much that we can risk to tell others about entering the kingdom of God. And if you are thinking, yeah, I'm always serving everyone else and now it's time for y'all to serve me, then, friend, I think you've missed the point. Does life in the kingdom sound a little too much? I mean, suffering and death, servanthood and slavery doesn't sound all that great to me. 
Maybe it does to you. But there's good news, friends. Friends, we do not secure our position with God by performing good works or even performing acts of service. We don't earn our position with God like that. The kingdom of God is secured for us by Christ's ransom of us. His life and death in our place, the, the king substituted for the sinner, this is what secures us. You want greatness in the kingdom of God, he says, you must become the slave of all. And what does he do? He becomes the slave of all. You want to be first, you, you, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must, you must die and suffer. And then what does he do? He dies and suffers for you. And verse 45 may be the most important verse in the book of Mark. The whole, the whole book hinges on this. The whole section rests on this verse. The whole kingdom rests on this verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A very important sentence. To give his life as a ransom for many. A very important clause. Mark is not typically concerned with how Jesus' death saves us. He's just, he's just so happy that it does. And that's what he's telling us all the time. But here he's telling us how. How is Jesus' death going to save us? And, and so when we see something like this, we should perk up and say, oh, this is really important. He's telling us how the, the predictions of his suffering, death, and resurrection are going to save us, are going to help us enter the kingdom of God, are going to give us eternal life. He's telling us that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom was a purchase. So it, was a, it was purchase price to buy something back or to redeem something. You've heard the word before. Kidnappers leave ransom notes, right? Hoping someone will, you know, love this person enough to, to pay them, to give them back. And those who do pay uh, the ransom are purchasing loved ones' freedom. They're purchasing someone's freedom. Now, God purchased or ransomed Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And, and that's a, a symbol of that's a symbol of his ransom of his people from their slavery to sin. It's a picture of what will happen. The price, what is that purchase price? What is that ransom? Jesus tells us the purchase price is his own life. So now we see. He's predicted his life. What's it for? It's so we can enter the kingdom of God. His, he gave his life for or in substitution of the life of the many guilty. The Son of Man gave up his life for the many. This is something called penal substitutionary atonement. It is one life in the place of another. It is one death in the place of another's death. One, one person earned the death, the other per person took the death. One person earned the wrath, the other person, person took the wrath. Life in the kingdom of God is only possible because the Son of Man gave up his life as a substitute for mine. 
This is the only way life in the kingdom works. This is the only way you can get in. Jesus gave up his life for you, and he invites you. Enter in. What does he demand? That you trust him, only him. Repent of your sins and enter. Friends, it's also this substitutionary atonement that makes life in the kingdom possible. Entrance into the kingdom is a, is a good way for us to understand what life in the kingdom is like. We can die to the kingdom of self because Jesus has died to our, for our kingdom of self. He took the wrath. He took our place. And, and now we can live and have the life of the kingdom. So what is a kingdom that honors suffering and death, slavery and servanthood look like? I mean, what does this look like after all? Those are pretty gruesome pictures, aren't they? Like, who wants to be a part of a kingdom of death and suffering? But friends, I encourage you to read, the, especially Paul's epistles and their second half of their epistles, to, to see what the kingdom looks like. It looks like a place where people prefer one another. Where they do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than themselves. It's a place where peace and justice reign. We sing about that. It's a place where peace and justice reign. A place where husbands are not dominating their wives, but laying their lives down for them. A place where wives find it easy to submit to their husbands as they would to Christ. A place where position and power come from serving one another. A place where greatness is achieved through dying to myself and giving up my rights. No matter what position you're in, married, single, child still in the home, if I want to find life in the kingdom of God, I die to myself. And I can only do that because Jesus has already died for me. So whoever wins the Super Bowl today, I didn't start with that because everyone's mind would have been, whoever wins the Super Bowl will get glory, right? But that glory is soon going to fade. Just ask Tom Brady. He's been there a lot. I, I, at one point, he was, he was asked about, you know, his Super Bowl accomplishments, and he, the, the thing he said is, like, it just doesn't last. I just want one more. I just, I, just, I just need one more. The glory fades, friends. Who's going to remember him in 100 years? Nobody. Football might even be outlawed. I don't know. But whoever dies to self and becomes a servant attains true greatness. Don't you want that? Don't you want life in the kingdom of God? Jesus paid the ransom for you to enter it. Turn to him, and you will receive it. Enter, and you will receive more good than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We pray that you would do the, the work of pushing it down into us, God, we, we will not live this text out perfectly this week, not, not this afternoon, not this week, or not our whole lives. But over our life, would you, by the power of your spirit and this mindset we have through Jesus Christ, would you be working and doing this for us? 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.